Hello, and welcome back to Tour Guide Tales, brought to you by Visit Scotland. I'm Grant Stott, and each week I'm speaking to a different tour guide to hear the amazing rich history of Scotland through their knowledge, stories, and experiences. Today, I'll be speaking to Alan Steele from Kilmartin Museum in the west of Scotland. With over 800 ancient points of interest within an area of just six miles, Kilmartin Glen is a site of great archaeological importance and gives us clues to the prehistoric civilizations that have lived there over the last 6,000 years. So, let's head back in time as we hear some incredible tour guide tales from Kilmartin Museum. Well, Alan, uh, welcome to Tour Guide Tales. Thank you for spending a bit of time with us. Before we start, let's get a bit of background about you, Alan Steele, and how you came to be a tour guide, a tour guide for Kilmartin. Right, well, uh, as you say, my name's Alan Steele. I live in the village of Kilmartin, which is about eight miles out of Loch Gilped in Mid-Argyll. Uh, I retired from teaching three years ago. Uh, and when we moved to Kilmartin, uh, I was really interested by the history uh, of the place and by the work of Kilmartin Museum. Uh, but it's only been since I retired that I've had the time uh, to devote a wee bit of uh, attention to that. And three years ago, just after retiring, uh, I volunteered as a walking tour guide for the museum. So tell us about the significance of Kilmartin. For those who have perhaps never ventured as you have, what, what's the significance about Kilmartin Glen? Uh, there's a couple of things. It's an area of natural beauty. Uh, but it's also hugely significant in terms of archaeological interest. Uh, it's an area that reflects thousands of years of history. Uh, and visitors are drawn to Kilmartin Glen from all over, uh, both this country and beyond. So when you say uh, it goes back and there's, there's, there's a great deal of historical interest, what kind of time scale are you talking about? Uh, we're talking very much into prehistory. Uh, the uh, Kilmartin Museum covers uh, about from uh, 9,000 years ago up to very early history. And our work as a tour guide, and what particularly attracted me was two parts, uh, two areas of history. One is the Neolithic uh, stage, about 4,000 years BC, uh, through to Bronze Age, around about 2,000 years BC. So we're talking about things that happened and uh, monuments that exist from up to about 6,000 years ago. And how long have we known about this this area and its significance? When did the museum arrive, for example? The museum start, uh, opened uh, roughly about 20 years ago as a, a fairly small concern. So it's been developing over uh, the last 20 years. Uh, and I would say, re particularly in recent years, last 10 years or so, things have really uh, picked up. And it's an exciting time for the museum. It's in small premises, uh, but the museum is about to undergo a massive redevelopment uh, project, which is very close to starting. Uh, part of the problem that the museum has is with uh, limited space. They've got so many artefacts uh, that they can't display at the moment. Uh, and this new uh, development will give them the space and the, the facilities to be able to, to develop it. Uh, the artefacts, I mean, the, uh, although it's in Kilmartin, the artefacts come from all corners of Argyll uh, and from most periods of prehistory and into early history. Wide range of things, uh, flint and other stone tools, bronze weapons, prehistoric pottery. Uh, pottery collection in the museum includes the three earliest beaker-type pots found in Britain. 
So there's a huge uh, amount of interest uh, in uh, these artefacts. So why was this place so significant? Why was it clearly so well populated at one time? It's fascinating because in the 1980s it was recorded that there were over 350 prehistoric and historic monuments within a six-mile radius of Kilmartin Village. Uh, that was back in the 80s. Uh, this number has now grown to 800 items. So there's a vast amount of prehistoric uh, you know, memorabilia, for want of a better word, in this, this area. Now, when I say it's uh, prehistoric sites, they, they can range from cairns to standing stones to stone circles to uh, rocks with rock art on them. So some of the sites are quite large and obvious. Others are more or less uh, hidden away. But it certainly indicates that this part of Scotland uh, was really a strong concentration of activity uh, back in prehistoric uh, times. So just looking at those numbers that you just quoted there, from 350 points of, of archaeological interest to 800 in, you know, not that long a space of time in the last 30 odd years. This is clearly a place that's continuing to evolve. You're continuing to make discoveries. Uh, absolutely. Yes. Yes. I mean, who knows what else is uh, under the ground that hasn't been discovered yet, but it, it's certainly evolving, uh, but it certainly adds uh, weight to the belief that Kilmartin Glen was centuries, sorry, thousands of years ago, a, a very important place and a, a, a very busy place. So when you say it was important and it was busy, uh, what role did it play in the community back then? There's, in Kilmartin Glen, in terms of uh, what's been found, there's been little evidence in the Glen itself uh, with regard to uh, any domestic use. Uh, it, it's, the indication is that Kilmartin Glen and uh, what we take the tour uh, uh, guide, the tour group on, uh, was largely potentially ceremonial, uh, maybe a spiritual uh, part to it, but certainly a special uh, place, uh, possibly cast adrift from the domestic side. It could be that there are uh, there's evidence of domestic settlement under some of the, the ground that hasn't been excavated, but there's no evidence of that yet. Certainly, evidence beside uh, Kilmartin Glen. Uh, of domestic new uh, sites. So give us an idea, Alan, when, when people come and you take them out on a walking tour, what, what, what do we see? Try and describe the Glen if you can. Yeah, it, it, it's, it's a lovely Glen. It, it was formed, basically the, uh, the landscape was formed as a result of the last ice age uh, in Scotland 10 or 12,000 years ago. Uh, the movement of the ice has... Uh, basically with its melting formed uh, a large river and uh, we've got a very flat area along the glen uh, with sand and gravel terraces on each side. It, it's a lovely spot, uh, unbiased of course, but it is a lovely spot uh, just to walk along. Uh, but the main thing that we take uh, the, the tours out to see are a collection of ancient monuments. We have what's called the Linear Cemetery, which is a, a line, more or less straight line of five burial cairns. Uh, which are uh, quite significant and quite you know, stunning. There's also uh, one site with two stone circles and another site with a collection of uh, significant standing stones. Now, the burial cairns uh, that we, we take people to see, uh, if I could give you a wee bit of uh, an insight into the, the structures that we're talking about, uh, burial, the burial cairns that we're looking at are roughly about Bronze Age, uh, so about 4,000 years ago. One definite fact with, uh, which leads us to believe that these were special burials is that they are individual uh, burials. Uh, they're not mass uh, graves. Uh, individual 
a burial kist or, or a chest. It's like a stone chest, uh, four sides of stone, a single burial and a large flat stone, a capstone to seal the, uh, the grave off. Now, in some of these burial cairns, there's only a single uh, burial and others there's maybe two. Uh, but the indication is that this must, these must have been the graves of someone important, someone who was held in special regard. Uh, as I say, there's no evidence of a communal uh, burial there. Capstone seals off the the grave, and then uh, at a later date, uh, roll, water rolled stones were placed to make a burial mound. Now, with this being uh, previously a, a flowing river, the water rolled stones would have been uh, locally uh, available. And the mounds are really quite significant in terms of size. Uh, they've reduced uh, over the years, uh, but it's believed and there's evidence to indicate that these mounds were roughly about up to about 30 metres wide and about four metres high. So they're fairly massive uh, structures, you know, literally hundreds of stones, and they're old stones maybe measuring up to about a foot uh, across. So an awful lot of effort has gone in uh, by ancient person to, to build these mounds. Uh, and... There's five of them uh, in this line. So if you come in one of our walking tours, we'll take you along the, the linear cemetery. We'll stop at, at at least three of them uh, to talk uh, about uh, the background uh, to, to some of it when they were excavated, uh, give an insight into what was found uh, within these uh, graves. Because that's going to be my next question. I'm sure anyone listening to this is going to ask. This It's clearly quite a lot of effort has been made to to create these as you say to store to source the stones and, and build these these huge cairns have we been inside what is there what evidence do we have of of life beforehand the the first the first excavation first recorded excavation was uh, in 1864 uh, by canon greenwell who was a, a clergyman from durham before that, I think the indication is that people weren't too interested uh, in them, uh, that uh, archaeology wasn't a great attraction, and uh, they obviously must have been seen. Uh, they couldn't have been hidden. Uh, but one thing which is evident uh, is that I mentioned that they were 30 metres across and about four metres high. Uh, an awful lot of stone robbing had taken place uh, before the excavations uh, started, uh, and people were likely to have uh, taken a lot of the stones for possibly uh, local road building you know, without giving any consideration of you know the, the archaeological heritage uh, there because I was, I was going to, I was going to say Alan because it strikes me that it's almost a miracle that they have survived as long as they have without anyone over the last hundreds of years not dismantling them moving things around and, and destroying them I, I would agree with you it's quite remarkable uh, because they have literally been there for thousands of years. Uh, and the only uh, the only uh, destruction, uh, uh, to a certain extent, has been pilfering of stones for uh, for road building uh, in the eighteen hundreds. Uh, yes, it is remarkable, and they still stand. There's evidence uh, of how big they were, uh, but they they are still you know, significantly sized structures uh, just now. Uh, but the uh, back to the excavation when the excavations took place. Uh, the, uh, there were two cairns that uh, Canon Greenwell's team excavated and uh, they found uh, various things uh, inside. There were uh, you know, some small standing stones uh, you covered in one, uh, but down to the kist. Uh, when they opened the kist uh, in uh, Glebe Cairn, which is the first cairn in our uh, walk, uh, there were no human remains uh, you found. Now, 
Uh, these kists are laid into the, the soil uh, and then closed off. And with the acidity of the soil, over thousands of years, uh, the body has uh, disappeared. Uh, there is a reference in Canon Greenwell's notes uh, to finding a dark, unctuous matter at the bottom of the, the kist, which we interpret as a sort of goo, uh, which may be the only thing that's left of the soul who was placed uh, there. A dark, unctuous matter. Dark, unctuous matter. Yes, I've never never heard that phrase until I read it about Canon Greenwell. Obviously a man with, with a, a good vocabulary. It strikes a picture. That is, it certainly does. It, it, it does, actually, yeah. yeah, yeah. We, t- we tend to tell, uh, tell the visitors that goo would do as a, a sort of rough uh, translation. Uh, <laughs> but, but interestingly, uh, very interestingly, in uh, that uh, the, the Glebe uh, Cairn, one find in particular, which causes a lot of discussion, was the remnants of a jet necklace. Now, in some of these uh, kists, there are grave goods that have been put in with the the, uh, the burial and others are empty. But in this one, there was a, a remnants of a jet necklace. Now, that causes a lot of discussion uh, because jet is not found locally in this part of the, the country. Uh, the nearest uh, source for jet is Whitby in Yorkshire, uh, which then... you. Know, Brings me on to one of the fascinating parts I find about this uh, area. Uh, Back in ancient times, back 4,000 years ago, uh, people were travelling about. Uh, Jet found its way from Yorkshire to Argyll. Someone must have brought it there. Uh, And it is an area which causes me a great degree of fascination because people were moving about uh, fairly fairly large uh, uh, distances. Uh, The jet necklace indicates that it implies that it was a person of high standing. It was potentially buried there. There were two kists there, so there is a suggestion it could have been a couple. It could have been the couple who were the leader of the uh, the group. Uh, there are arguments about the hierarchical system in the ancient times, but I, I think we're all convinced that you know, in, in the museum and the guides that there were obviously people of uh, who were looked on with high importance or respect or affection. Uh, to warrant this special uh, burial. There's also something called a crouch burial. Uh, tell us about that. Yes, crouch burial, the, the actual kist size, the size of the chest, when you look at it now, it isn't particularly long. Um, so it's uh, believed that uh, people wouldn't have been buried in a prone position, lying flat out. Uh, they would have been buried in a crouch position, which means that the, the, the kist wouldn't have to have been so, so big. And the suggestion is that it may well have been the belief that we're crouched as we come into the the world and we should be crouched as we we leave this world. So if we're out on the walking tour um, and we can can see, obviously, as as you mentioned there, the the cairn, the ones that are built with with, with all the stones, but is there also a Clyde cairn that you can actually go in? Would that be fair to say? There is, yes. Uh, it's an interesting one. It's uh, another Largy South uh, cairn. Uh, the original part of that cairn is significantly older than the other cairns in the, the Linear Cemetery. Four of the cairns in the Linear, linear Cemetery are around 4,000 years old. Uh, the the cairn, the, the South cairn, is actually about 1,600 years older. Uh, it goes back to Neolithic uh, times, and it's a different structure. Uh, you mentioned Clyde cairn. Basically, it, uh, the Kist burials that I talked about, uh, the body is sealed off and then rolled stones put on top uh, and any any worship or respect of the place would be outside, it would be external uh, to this monument. Uh, the Clyde Cairn, uh, and we've got one in Kilmartin Glen uh, on the, the Linear Cemetery, is a cairn that was a different structure. 
It was built uh, to allow the living to access the remains of the dead. Uh, there's a passage that you go into, and there were four compartments in the cairn. And basically, uh, the type of burial at that stage, and that's quite a bit, best part of 2,000 years beforehand, uh, the type of burial was uh, someone would, would have passed away. The body likely to have been excarnated, and, and basically what I mean by that is the flesh and uh, parts of the body picked from the body or picked from the body. It could have been by birds if they left the body out. But once we're left with the skeleton, then at least part of the skeleton, uh, possibly skull and long bones, uh, gathered and placed inside this tomb. And the suggestion is that at times uh, that the people wanted to honour the particular uh, dead person, they would go into the tomb, take the bones out and carry out whatever ceremony uh, they wanted and then replace the, the bones. Now, in tombs like that, and uh, Clyde, basically called a Clyde uh, uh, chambered cairn because uh, there are uh, other instances of them in the, the central west coast of Scotland, uh, but they exist elsewhere. They exist up in uh, Orkney and Shetland as well. The main, the main thing was that there would be more than one burial. There could be a, a number of uh, sets of bones and also this idea about being able to go in, remove the bones uh, and then replace uh, the bones. Now, that changed uh, in, into the Bronze Age, a time where the kissed burial and sealed burial uh, became the, the norm. But what's very interesting is that this ancient tomb, the, the chambered cairn, must have been held in high regard by the Bronze Age people uh, because it was still in existence at the time that they built the, the linear cemetery. And not only that, they incorporated this older tomb into the linear cemetery by putting rolled stones on top of it to give from a distance the impression that it was the same structure, same type of structure as the, the later uh, tombs. So that there's that it must have been a tomb that, that was held as special uh, if they then incorporated it into their their, uh, their line of uh, structured tombs. It's fascinating. You know, we, we think now as a, you know, when someone comes to the end of their life, there's, there's the funeral, there's the burial, there's the cremation, and then that's the end of it. But clearly in these times, you know, death was a, an ongoing thing. And, and you mentioned there that bo bodies were left out, they were pecked by possibly birds, animals stripped down to skeletons. And then, so, I mean, this is a, this is a sort of continual care of the, the deceased, if you like. Yes, a continual care and a continual honouring uh, of the, the deceased because these, these tombs uh, were in existence for, for literally thousands of years. And uh, the care and effort that went into constructing them uh, is really quite significant. One of the things, that, one of the, a number of things that visitors, uh, you know, say to us as we're walking around, that they, they're amazed at the level of sophistication, uh, you know, particularly in the chamber uh, tomb with the construction of it, that they hadn't really realised that thousands of years uh, ago uh, people were, you know, living with a level of sophistication uh, and not simply primitive. But they, they obviously held these uh, these cairns, uh, these tombs in high regard. Obviously, this is the linear cemetery, as you, as you mentioned. There's all these burial areas, the the the, the monuments as well. Do you think there was a, a sort of spirituality attached to this area? Very much so. Uh, lots of people uh, say that to us uh, as we take them around. I mean, it, it is a lovely area. It's a very calm area. It, it's a, a very a peaceful walk and a peaceful setting. But an awful lot of people mention uh, that they, they get a, a spiritual feeling. They get a special feeling uh, from being in the, the area. And as well as uh, the public uh, walks that we do, uh, the, the museum also uh, accept private groups uh, for their own uh, walks and we take some private groups along. 
And I've been out with a couple of private groups, you know, whose who's, uh, approach to it has been a very spiritual one. And they, they've uh, taken a, a great degree of uh, support you know, from visiting the, the linear cemetery uh, and the, the standing stones. Uh, so, yeah, it's very much spiritual as well, yeah. That's fascinating. And, 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 and it's wonderful that you still get a sense of it. And so many people sort of mention that as they're going through the area. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Something else that's of great interest for, for many people is rock art. Just give us an overview of what that is. Uh, as, as well as being a volunteer uh, you know, tour guide, I'm also a volunteer of a small group in Camarton Museum who are assisting in the Scotland Rock Art Project, uh, which is uh, carrying out uh, surveys of uh, known rock art throughout the country and hopefully trying to identify uh, other pieces of rock art. Now, rock art basically is uh, rock carvings, an emblem, symbol, or just random carving which has been etched out onto a rock by a harder uh, rock. These can be fairly basic. Uh, the most common one's a cup mark, which is a smooth, hollowed-out uh, cup shape uh, in a rock. Uh, they then get enhanced by what's known, known as a cup and ring mark, which would be a cup mark with a ring scratched around it. But they can be very basic. Some rocks only have one or two, or they can be really extensive uh, panels, which have taken some time uh, to, to decorate. Uh, and we've got a, 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 some excellent examples of that around the area, just at, at the edge of uh, Kilmarthen Glen. Uh, rock art, it's, uh, it's prolific uh, around here. Uh, the, the reason for uh, rock art... Uh, we don't know. Uh, there was a specialist who uh, published a report uh, some time ago uh, saying 104 explanations for rock art, uh, which I won't go through all 104 uh, explanations. We might not have time in this podcast. Uh, some of the ideas, some of the plausible ideas in his mind was that uh, they could include a map of the landscape, you know, uh, charted in rock, uh, astronomical alignments, uh, or marking territory out, or marking ritual places. Uh, and you often find them, we find them at the edge of uh, Kilmartin Glen more prolifically. So that may well be a case of this is a special place and uh, we have decorated these, uh, these stones. Uh, but no one has, has a definitive answer. One of the ones that, that's less plausible, which I quite like, is Bored Shepherd Syndrome. Uh, which you imagine this poor, <laughs> this poor ancient uh, guy out in the field watching his sheep and wor you know, working away at a, a, a piece of stone as he as he sits. But that's maybe a wee bit uh, frivolous. Thousands of years later, people are scratching their head trying to figure out what they mean. Uh, uh, absolutely, yeah. Maybe he was thinking about that while he was scratching it. He was thinking that will confuse the future. Uh, are some of these uh, examples of rock art, Alan, exposed to the to the climate? They're still out there for for everyone to see. Yes, uh, absolutely. There are two uh, excellent ones uh, uh, very close to us. Break, uh, which was exposed as a re result of a tree falling over, a large tree falling over, and it exposed this huge expanse. Uh, it's an incredibly detailed, large panel uh, of rock art. Uh, or Meg as well, which is just uh, about a mile or so away from uh, Kilmartin. So there's there's some very elaborate ones as well as some of the ones that have been uh, helping chart have been less uh, elaborate, but, oh, but nonetheless still important. Give us some explanation, if you can, about the stone circles and the standing stones, which are which are a big part of Kilmartin Glen as well. The standing stones, it's nether largy uh, standing stones. They're, they're really quite intriguing. Um, I, I mentioned that uh, I, I retired as a maths teacher and uh, it's the measurements between them which intrigues me. Uh, they're, uh, they're in a special alignment. Um, 
probably, uh, uh, well, not probably, it has been suggested by one or two uh, visitors uh, in groups that we've had that they're aligned as a set, two sets of goalposts, which uh, I think is maybe a wee bit. Uh, <laughs> the very early, very early games, games of football were played at Kilmarnock. Yes, yes, exactly. Uh, but there's this uh, rather large standing stone right where, was, where the centre spot would be. So I, I suspect it's not a, uh, not a, a gore. Uh, but there's uh, two sets of uh, parallel stones. Uh, being a maths teacher, the faces are parallel. That intrigues me. Uh, the fact that uh, they are there's also been outlier stones found, which means that they've been set up in a special alignment. Uh, they haven't been placed randomly. Uh, if you draw a line, uh, a crisscross line from uh, the left stone uh, to the opposite right one, and vice versa. Uh, the crossing point is where the large stone is in the middle. So it's been very carefully measured out, uh, and I don't believe it's a coincidence. I don't think they've just decided we're going to put up these five stones and this will do. They've measured them out for a particular uh, reason. Now, there's a, a suggestion uh, that it could be astronomically based, and there's a, a suggestion that it is potentially an ancient lunar observatory, uh, with the belief that ancient man would be would have been interested in the movement and the phases of the, the moon. Uh, so again, this is this level of uh, sophistication, which uh, comes into thinking uh, rather than ancient man uh, just uh, randomly uh, doing things. There's, there's thought behind the, their actions. That's absolutely fascinating, isn't it? You think, you know, hundreds, thousands of years, they are measuring uh, with whatever measuring scale that they have at that point, these s- significant stones and placing them in the exact, exact spot so give us an idea of the scale that we're talking about here how big are these stones what kind of area of ground do they cover they're kind of, they cover about uh you know, roughly about uh 80 to 100 yards between the two parallel uh, sets uh and the stones are you know, at least two meters in fact they're over two meters uh, high uh so the, they're significant stones also the stone in the center uh, has a number of cut marks so that's been uh, decorated uh, there's also one or two cut marks and some of the, a couple of the other uh, stones. So stone in the centre has been looked on uh, as a special stone, uh, taking the central point, and the other uh, four have been uh, set up uh, in parallel. So it is fascinating. There's been a, an awful lot of time, uh, thought, and effort uh, going into the things like that all those years ago. If you if you told me that it was about the measurements of a football pitch, then I was really going to be very impressed <laughs> with that. <laughs> Um, it's clearly of interest, not just for for sightseers and for people who are who are interested in history, but also for archaeologists as well. And is this is this part of what you do at the at the museum? Do you continue to dig? Do you continue to explore? And yes, I mean certainly in the the uh, last years, that, that's the reason that the number of uh, items increased, the number of sites increased from three hundred and fifty to eight hundred. Uh, the museum's a, a working museum, and it continues uh, with uh, excavations and surveys, uh, your land surveys, to uh, see if they can identify other things. So it is very much a work in progress. It continues to uh, the museum continues to find new items. And how would you how would you suggest? somebody would get the absolute most out of a visit to Kilmartin Glen, obviously taking in the, the museum first and then taking a, a walking tour or the other way around. How, how, would you, how would you suggest someone goes about it? It can happen in both ways. And I've, I've talked to visitors who have uh, talked about the fact that they, they were really delighted they went to the museum first and then went on the tour and others who uh, felt that they got the, the interest from the tour to then go in and investigate further uh, in the museum. Uh, 
One of the, the big uh, you know, claims that the museum correctly has is that it's a museum where you, at one point you can be standing looking at a, a beaker pot and, and a display and turn around and look out the window and you can see the site where it was uh, discovered. Uh, you know, it's not that they've come from huge distances away. Some of the artefacts that have been found in Kilmartin Glen remain in Kilmartin uh, you know, uh, for site. I mean, my strong recommendation is naturally that if you're coming uh, to the Glen, the best way to, to find out about it is to go on a walking tour. Of course, with your good self as, uh, <laughs> as on hand <laughs> to fill in all the details. And uh, Denard Hill uh, is nearby. That's, a, that's another place of, of significance. It is indeed. Yeah, absolutely. Because one of the, one of the things that we do in the walking tour is, as well as uh, go th- uh, talk through all of uh, the things that we can see in the linear cemetery and uh, standing stones, uh, we try to highlight some of the other areas, you know, like, as I mentioned, uh, you know, Rockart at Aknebrek and or Meg and uh, Denad Hill. Denad Hill is only a, couple of mile, a few miles away from uh, you know, Comartin. Uh, it's a hill fort dating back in the Iron Age, uh, you know, roughly, and uh, believed to be the capital of the Scottish kingdom at Dalriada, uh, which was founded by uh, people from Ireland. Uh, Around about AD 500, uh, and now it's believed that this would be the place where the new kings of Scotland were inaugurated. Uh, and an interesting wee feature about it is there's a large rock uh, at the top of Denad, and Denad isn't a high hill, uh, but it's a nice wee uh, nice walk up. Uh, there's a large rock with a carving of a footprint in the rock. And it's believed that would be uh, the, the place where the, the about-to-be-inaugurated Scottish king would rest his royal foot as he was uh, declared king. I just hope it wasn't another bored shepherd. <laughs> On this occasion, I don't <laughs> think so. <yeah. laughs> it, it's a well-known uh, place, and it's an important place in, in more recent history, you know, uh, around about the, the first century. And as I say, as a tour guide uh, for the, the museum, we do try to pick out other places or give other recommendations uh, for, for people to, to go to. And given its location, do you think there's a connection with Ireland? Yes, definitely. Uh, absolutely. Uh, definitely in uh, Danad. Uh, there's, uh, uh, at that time, uh, the water level would have been higher uh, and uh, the connection with Ireland would have been even stronger. Uh, it's not that far to Ireland uh, from, from Argyll by water. It's a strong connection, and the uh, Dalriada uh, kingdom uh, basically came from Ireland uh, into Scotland. Uh, but interestingly, there's also uh, a strong argument that there was a strong connection uh, between Kilmartin Glen in ancient times in Ireland. Uh, I mentioned earlier about the jet necklace and people travelling from Whitby. Uh, part of the rock art that we have uh, is in the two stone circles that we have at Temple Wood, which also forms part of our uh, tour. And in one of the stones, there's a, a, a spiral uh, carving, uh, which is strongly linked to the same style which was found in Newgrange in Ireland. Uh, so the suggestion is that people were travelling, possibly to and fro, but coming from Ireland over uh, to Scotland. Uh, and that may be one of the reasons why Kilmartin Glen has so many sites and so many uh, items of evidence uh, of uh, ancient uh, civilization. It, it seemed to have been a very, potentially very busy place in ancient times. Well, clearly it's a place that explores and tells the story of Scotland's history going back, as we've mentioned, thousands of years. I guess it's the kind of place you can come with no prior knowledge. 
Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. We get a whole mix of uh, people coming uh, that we speak to on, on walks. We get people uh, who uh, I've had one or two uh, archaeologists uh, who have kept quiet about that until the end of the walk, uh, which... Uh, <laughs> Just to keep you on your toes. I thank... Exactly. I, th- I thank them for that. Uh, and we've had people who have been travelling around uh, different parts of Britain uh, and beyond you know, uh, looking at sites like this. We've also had people who have had no experience whatsoever. Uh, they've uh, stopped off in Middergyle, they've found a museum and then thought it'd be interesting to, to go on the, the guided tour and they've been amazed at uh, what they've, uh, they've seen. So, it, it, yeah, it, it attracts people from all backgrounds uh, in terms of archaeology. Any uh, interaction with a visitor that, that, that stands out? Uh, there's one from my early days in uh, uh, Tour guides. I think it was one of the very, one of the, the early walks that that I did, and it's back to the standing stones at uh, Netherlargy. Um, I was uh, I, I was beginning to talk to the, the group uh, who were there, and it was a group of Americans, uh, and I was talking to them about the the alignment of the standing stones, and I was just at the part I was talking to them about the rock art on the main standing stone. Uh, and uh, I put my hand out and I, I touched the standing stone. And this lady who was closest to me had a sharp intake of breath and said, be careful. And uh, I didn't know what she meant. So I, I, I asked her and said, I'm, I'm not sure why be careful. Oh, she says, you haven't seen Outlander. <laughs> and at that time, I was have to admit, I hadn't seen Outlander. I didn't have a clue what she was talking about. And she, I, I, I said, I, don't, I still don't know what you mean. She said, oh, it could be a time portal. You could be transported to another time. If only. The Outlander. I, I, would, I would imagine the Outlander effect has, 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 has hit Kilmartin Glen as well. Yes, it has. I mean, a lot of people, uh, you mentioned that. I mean, since then, I've, uh, I, I haven't I have partly embellished when I'm trying to you know, put my hand out to touch the stone to see if there is an effect on it. Uh, anybody. <laughs> Quite right. uh, but yes, I mean, a, a number of people mention it, you know, it's, oh, it, it, it gives you the impression of Outlander. Uh, but as I say, I, I hadn't seen it at all at that time. I have seen uh, several episodes since then, so I've got a, a better understanding of how to react uh, to that. Well, Alan, Again, uh, it's been another fascinating uh, episode of Tour Guide Tales for me. Um, your 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 knowledge and and your passion for this uh, area is uh, is it's it's wonderful to hear because clearly you, you care and and it's the reason you now live there. I, I, absolutely, without doubt, I, I thoroughly enjoy living here. It's a beautiful part of the country. Uh, if you ever get the chance to visit, I would strongly recommend it. Could I leave you with a, a wee tale that we, we tell? We we talk mainly about the ancient uh, history or prehistory, uh, but we also try to to give people an idea about more uh, recent history. And we talk about landowners and we talk about the clan system. Uh, and we well, not all of us, but some of us share a wee tale about the Piper of Duntroon. Now, Duntroon Castle uh, lies on the shores of Loch Crinan. Uh, it was built around twelve hundred. Uh, AD, and it's the home of the clan chief, which is now uh, the Malcolm clan. In the 1600s, there was ongoing feuds between the Campbells and the Macdonalds, which is more or less the same throughout Scotland. It seems to be a recurring tale. And in the mid-1600s, the Macdonalds took the castle from the Campbells. And the Macdonald chief left a small number of men, along with his piper, to guard the castle because he wanted to sail off in the loch and continue with other assaults in the area. But in his absence, the Campbell clan realised the castle wasn't well fortified and they regained it. They killed every MacDonald in the castle, but they spared the piper. 
Uh, they believed that Piper was a privileged and protected individual. So he was spared, but he was imprisoned. So one day, the Piper was looking out over the loch and he saw his chief's boat approaching and he played a welcoming tune in his bagpipes. But as the boat drew nearer to the castle, he changed the tune and he played the Piper's warning. The MacDonald chief in the, the boat heard the, the warning and he turned his boat about and he sailed the rest of the MacDonalds to, uh, to safety. The Campbells realised what the Piper had done and as a punishment, they chopped his hands off. And the poor guy bled out and died. Now this story could be held to be a myth. However, in the late 1800s, the castle was being renovated and two workmen removed some flagstones in the courtyard and they found a shallow grave with a skeleton that had both hands cleanly chopped off at the wrists. So maybe the story is in fact true. Alan, what a wonderful story to leave us with. That is fascinating. Um, yeah, and another wonderful reason why we should come and take a, a visit to Kilmartin Glen sometime. I'll just make sure you're on duty. <laughs> Alan, thanks very much for being our, our, our tour guide for, uh, for this episode of Tour Guide Tales. Absolutely fascinating stuff. Okay, well, thanks very much. Well, I hope that you'll agree that was absolutely fascinating. If you enjoyed this week's show and you haven't already, don't forget there are earlier episodes that are just as captivating. So make sure you give them a listen too. Until next week, I'm Grant Stock, and you've been listening to another Tour Guide Tales brought to you by Visit Scotland. <laughs>